you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, patient Powell strikes again. The Fed chair managing to keep the markets calm while answering questions about the easing strategy in Washington, D.C. today. But can investors really trust the Fed? Top strategist Chris Harvey says there is one group of stocks he hated until now. He will explain why this surprising group could be the big winner in 2019. We start off with Macy's igniting a retail inferno. The department store having its worst day ever, down 18% after slashing full-year guidance and announcing weaker-than-expected holiday sales, the move weighing on the whole group of retailers. Kohl's, Nordstrom, Target, all under pressure. So is this just a Macy's problem? Or is this a bigger warning about a weak consumer guy? Well, down 17% says it's Macy specific, but I don't think it is. I th- you know, Tim talked about it a couple days ago. It's, it's department stores have not figured it out. I mean, I think a lot of us have thought that maybe they've gotten to the other side of the mountain. Clearly, they haven't made it there. But down 17% is a ridiculous move. The thing that makes me think maybe the consumer is still out there is the fact that on a day like today, when MasterCard had every reason to sell off, it was actually up half a percent. I'm still in the camp that says the U.S. consumer will always spend money, but it doesn't mean they should be spending money. And quite frankly, with consumer debt to GDP close to now 60 percent, that poses a problem, especially if interest rates are going to go higher. It's another conversation. Plus what you've said, that with a weak stock market, the consumer actually acts weak. But let's remember, Macy's is a mall play. Kohl's and Target have standalones. So... It's a bigger problem for Macy's, I would say. Something happened. Something happened between Black Friday, Cyber Monday time period, and the end of December because they said basically it seemed like a a light switch went off and the consumer stopped spending in that period. Well, it's not so much. I I think, first of all, it was a margin miss on Macy's. It was a big problem. The top line was weaker. It's a holiday miss, let's be clear. And I I thought the holiday sales were going to be fantastic. So I'm surprised by some of this, despite the fact that we were warned by Amazon way back when. Um, I think in in Macy's case, part of the issue was this company actually getting out of this destructive cycle of essentially having to promote your way into sales. And the top line is, is, is okay. The bottom line is not very good. And I think they're giving the store away again. And I think that's an issue for departments. Yeah, I, I think 2018 was a really interesting year. When you think about it, we had the start. We had this tax cut. There was a lot of enthusiasm about a consumer-led recovery here in the U.S. Um, but we also had this thing bookended by, you know, 800 thousand U.S. Uh, workers, federal workers being furloughed. You know, I mean, when you think about all the stuff that's happened in between for retail, we saw housing top out last year. We saw autos top out. Obviously, thousand dollar smartphones topped out at some point. We look at the retail right now and you say to yourself, yeah, it was a margin miss. Um, do they have a whole heck of a lot of uh, margin pressure? I know we're going to talk about airlines. Where there was a big miss there. Those that, you know, well, what does Macy's lead in? I, I guess that's the, the weakness. What do they lead in? What product category do you think about Macy's for? I don't think they lead in anything. 
No, but so. they, they, the, the weakness they talked about was was uh, jewelry, uh, women's Apparel, clothing, yeah. um, sportswear. You know, I mean, what do you what do you buy in a department store? And, and so um, I think it was really across the board. Um, and I, I still think this is more of a secular issue for Macy's. And I don't I don't think these guys are but, are dead. I, I actually I actually think the stock looks very interesting here. To be clear, to, to, I, I thought you, it was interesting. You, two weeks you mentioned jewelry. I mean, here's a name. Tiffany was down 50 percent from its well, highs. I, think in July. I, I know, but what I'm saying is, just like when you think about it, you can go all di- different sides of the spectrum here, or both sides of the spectrum and you're seeing consumer weakness so i mean the way i see it is is like the 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 push into retail sales into the holiday period. That was about as good as it gets for, for quarters. But if you think about out. it, what is Macy's worth, right? At $8 billion market cap, it's got to be worth more than $8 billion, just real estate Why? alone. Because real estate alone, you have the, the Herald Square, it's got to be worth $20 billion. How much more real estate are they going to sell? I mean, how many more assets are they going to get rid of in order to bring some value to the stock? I mean, that was sort of one of the bullet yeah. points that I think Bank of America had in their downgrade of Macy's today. Things, I mean, there are only so many more things that Macy's can do at this point, especially with a consumer that looks like it may be the best of the consumer. Those days are behind retail at this point. Yeah, I'm not suggesting this goes the way of Sears, but to your point, I mean, you know, Sears sold off things, and you see where, where we've gotten on that side of the equation as well. So I don't think Macy's is dead either. I'm shocked that it's down as much as it is. I don't know if it's an opportunity necessarily. Now you've got to start to wait and hear. What is Nordstrom's going to say? What's Target going to say, I think, in the beginning of March? I mean, that's where it becomes really interesting. But I'll say again, I think to Dan's point, I do think that the stock market sell-off, and Steve alluded to this, scared a lot of people in the market. And that, to me, is really the thing you have to focus on. If this market's about to roll over again, like I think it might, that could put the consumer right back into the cave. I want to kind of try to take a step back here because I agree with you, Dan. I think we've seen across the retail sector, we've heard it from luxury, we've heard it from the low end, we've heard it from the middle, we've heard it from broad lines, hard lines, you name it. Um, but I think there are there are secular pressures going on. I think there's enormous SG&A pressure. I think there's labor pressure. Um, to, to, to take from this that the consumer is dead and is rolling over, I think is not right. I think we went into this holiday season, I think with, with a, a, you know, with comps that were very difficult year over year for a lot of these guys. I think the bottom line is the consumer is employed. They are making more money. What are they Gas spending prices are their, lower. What are they spending their money on, though? I mean, they're, they're, they don't seem to be spending money, to Dan's point, on cars. They're not upgrading their phones as much. They're not buying women's apparel or fashion jewelry, the things that Macy's are selling. What they are buying are things online for free shipping at a very low price. It's almost like the Buy consumer... The, yeah, but you, you no, say that, even but on Amazon October 25th, suffering, when Amazon guided for the Q4, I mean, I think it was like a $5 billion guide down for you know the holiday season. Now, here's the thing. We've been talking about this. If they miss that guidance for Q4, lights out for all retail. Right. I mean, you know, I think consumer stuff, leads, stuff. though, to the point of the overall market, consumer does lead. So if we see these names start to roll over, I think the market is poised to roll over as well. Is this not the rollover, the start of the rollover? It could be. It could be. But like Guy said, you know, when you're going to hear from Target, Target already took a beating last quarter. So they've already sold down to their their recent lows. So maybe it could be a buying opportunity for all the things that got hit on the back of Macy's that have already been hit. But I think the overall market is ready to slide over again. I continue to think food retail is a mess. I think food producers are a mess. Um, I think Walmart is 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 a mess. As it, it's all of those things. I think there's too much competition. I actually think that Amazon is the best, and I, I think Amazon has the ability to become a lot more profitable here. I think they're going to have a higher EBITDA than higher EBIT than than Walmart um, somewhere in the next 12 months, and I think that's extraordinary. So I I I'd still you know as much as they warned. Do you I think, like Amazon at these valuations? Yeah, that yes. seems to be unusual. I mean I I wouldn't have guessed that. 
Well, I, I, I tend to be more value oriented, right. but re- Amazon relative to itself, if you'll notice EV EBITDA, it's trading around 18 times next year, which has come way down. Why is it coming down? Because they're making money. And, and I think the stock is actually, you know, as interesting it, without a market proxy behind it, good and bad, but just on its own merit, I like Amazon. How do we set up, though, into Amazon's earnings? In your yeah, opinion? I mean, it's interesting. I'll answer that question. But if you told me last night, airlines going to get fricasseed, right. Macy's going to be down 17 percent. What what's going to happen to the broader market? I'd say the VIX is going to be up a couple handles and the stock market's down 300 points given the run we had. And here we are closed on the high. So it doesn't make any sense. The setup into Amazon is probably OK. If they warn, though, or say similar to what they said last quarter to Dan's point, Katie barred the door. But you have to believe, given what? the self, what? Katie, Katie. Katie barred the door. Anyway. And Bar- you know, it's, and prom date. Oh, that was a shout out to the prom date, Katie. No, Barr. it's not. <laughs> I heard she was a shout out. that tie to your prom, yeah. by the way? Right, it's like a good going. old timey sort of <laughs> really expression. Really weird how you No, it's not prom. any. It's a Katie bar the door. Anyway, if look if it up. Go to the Google off, machine. The market sells off. Amazon gets demolished. I, I I, let, let's just be really clear. So consensus was looking for $73.5 billion for Q4 revenues for Amazon. Okay, they guided to about 66.5 to 72.5. If they come in at the low end and then guide down for Q1, remember what happened when Apple guided down uh, sales 8% for this quarter, you're going to see a stock easily down 10%. And this is a stock that's gone from, what, 1400 to 1700 in just a matter of weeks. Last quick question. At what point does the Macy's dividend do you question it? What is it at? I, I tell you what, eight percent right now. Right now, the issue with me on Macy's is truly what they're doing with store count and same store sales. Uh, Betting against the dividend, betting against the balance sheet, I think people have been totally wrong on Macy's. That's not why you're selling the stock. Our next guest says he sees more pain ahead for the consumer and that Wall Street is on the wrong side of the retail trade. Chris Harvey is head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. So if there's more pain ahead for the consumer, what implications does that have in terms of your market view? Uh, As as far as our market view, we think there's another 3 or 4% upside to here. Um, we've been somewhat, we haven't been as enthusiastic because we thought the Fed made a mistake, but now that the Fed is kind of walking back, there's some debate at this point in time. What we want to see, and to this point, is we would love to see expectations come down when earnings get reported. We think that the stock, stocks are down, why keep expectations up? Valuation is much better. Bring expectations down, and then you can beat lower guidance, then the market can work going forward. But right now, we've had the January effect, you have the bounce, you're still you still have some issues with trade and tariff. You still have a, a lot of turmoil out there. If you really want the market to go forward, reset guidance, reset the bar, and then you can really work going forward. So really, there's no, uh, there's there's nothing to be done until we're through earnings season at this point. I think that's true. The other thing that we're looking at is what happens to the statement. Does the statement change from the Fed? The Fed still has gradual hikes in there. There's nothing in there to say that they should change that. How does the market react? if they come out with the same statement. So, Chris, it's easy to say that co- corporates should be a little conservative with their guidance. Just look in the last few lo- weeks. Look at FedEx. Look at Apple. Airlines, you know, look at Macy's today. Air- airlines. I mean, it's a dangerous proposition. Investors are shooting first, asking questions later. Isn't it easier maybe to kind of squeak out a little here and there as far as what their visibility is? It, it really depends on what you want to do. If you want to hold or maintain in the short term, great. But it's going to be tough beating guidance going forward. So take the pain now. A lot of stocks are down at this point in time. Then you have good valuation. Then if things are better, you'll beat lower expectations. You'll get paid in the end. If you don't lower guidance or if you maintain guidance that's tough to beat, your stock's really going to languish for a long period of time. 
But Chris, what do you do with a market that's up 11% in 10 days? Um, and I know you're not playing it day to day. But you talk about stocks revaluing. First of all, the market's not going down despite these massive warnings. And, and right. I, maybe it was two weeks ago. But are the stocks that are actually not falling the ones that have not guided the ones that people should be selling here because it's inevitable? So what we think is, so we've been up in quality and down to risk for a long period of time. However, what we're starting to see is there's more value in value. You're starting to see value stocks look a lot more attractive. The spread between cheap and expensive has widened. Absolute value is better. And if you can change guidance, I think you can work going forward. We've been in a bear market for value for a long time. Those stocks have a lot of juice in them. We just need a couple of things to fall in place for them. Where is the value? What so sectors? We see value across the board. So we've liked biotech for a long period of time. Obviously, there's been a couple of takeouts there. We wouldn't chase it. We see value in food, beverage, tobacco. We also see value in REITs. If you're looking for contrarian plays, REITs are a great dividend play. Yep. Tell you what. Yeah. I'm not going to give this away, uh-huh. but the biotech thing, that just might be a little precursor of a little power pitch we got coming on later in the show. I'm just putting it out there now. I can't wait. I, I can tell. Let's another show because we the get edge fast of my seat. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Yes. Thank yes. you, Chris. Great to see you. <laughs> Thank you. Chris Harvey. Wells Fargo. What do you think, Rasa? So if, if you, they were confused about what the Fed has said and if the Fed you know, made sort of a mistake, I don't know how any of that has changed. He might have positioned it better in the words, but the balance sheet is still going to be reduced and rates are still moving higher. Markets should be rolling over. To Chris's point, though, I mean, we have the next three weeks or so are really going to be very key. We're going to have another Fed uh, meeting with a press conference after every single meeting, right? We're going to get through the bulk of earnings season. We will know a lot by the end of January. We will. Um, but what I think people are saying here about the Fed is we've also determined from these Fed minutes um, that the Fed is going back to kind of try to recraft their message, um, that they feel as if that they were misinterpreted. And in fact, maybe they were even wrong. Um, so... That, that is what makes all of this very different. And it kind of feels like we're, we're, we're just kicking this can down the road because I think Steve's talking about a Fed that has, has, has some work to do uh, and a balance sheet that's only 11% off of its all-time high. Um, and again, in a Fed meeting today, in an interview with Rubenstein, you actually heard that they, they, they talked a little bit about substantially lower. I thought they were more hawkish. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. I mean, it's sort of like, it's such a flip that, I mean, well, as, he, a, as somebody who's observing, you're like, where, where do they stand right here, now? Here's the thing. If you're a just like Chris Harvey, and you have a 3,000-year-end target for the S&P 500, you need a lot of what he just said to happen. You need a lot of corporations to take down their forward guidance for 2019. You need the stock market to go back towards those uh, Christmas ease lows. Like That all has to happen soon. People need to get a little bit more freaked out about the term substantially lower balance sheet, that sort of thing. And then you can set up for low expectations and rally into back towards the To be high. fair, his target is 2665. Oh, cool. But end. most of them are like so. three. 3,200 or something like that. Yeah, true. I mean, and they've all been ratcheting it down. Yeah. And mean, his is for next seen. week, so he looks great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, coming go, up. Go. It wasn't just Macy's. American Airlines delivering the latest shock to the already troubled transports, cutting its profit forecast. So just how much turbulence is ahead for the group? The traders weigh in. Plus, from Jerome Powell's mouth to investors' ears, the Fed chair delivering again today, saying the Fed will be patient. But there's one thing he said that's got Wall Street on edge. We'll explain. And later, a guy here... So bullish on one sock, he can barely contain his excitement. Look at that. So excited. He'll step up to the plate to give us his fast pitch. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 
30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. American Airlines getting slammed today after slashing its outlook, and it is just the latest shock to the group. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with all the details. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa. Let's start first off with the American news, and then we'll talk about the broader group of airlines and why they're under pressure. For American, they brought down their full-year earnings guidance down to a range of $4.40 to $4.60 a share. That compares to the previous guidance of $4.50 to $5. By the way, the consensus heading into today 462 a share. Now, in terms of the airlines overall, this is part of what people are starting to worry about. You've got 4Q revenue warnings. And oh, by the way, American said that it expects revenue to be up about 1.5%. Previous guidance was between 1.5 and 3.5%. You have that along with reports in the industry that corporate travel bookings may be slowing down. And there's just limited growth when it comes to domestic airfares. Why? Take a look at jet fuel prices. I know this sounds counterintuitive to some people, but lower jet fuel, if it's too low, it's hard for the airlines, especially domestically, to get the airfares to move higher as much as they would like them to move higher. And as a result, you've got limited growth there in terms of passenger revenue. Remember, as you take a look at the airline stocks, you've got Delta and United reporting next Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively. We already heard from Delta last week in terms of fourth quarter revenue and the pressure that they're seeing relative to expectations. We'll talk with uh, Ed Bastian next week. We're also going to talk with Oscar Munoz at United. Guys, the bottom line is this. A lot of people are wondering, have the glory years happened already for the airlines? Where is that next leg of growth for these guys? Because it's certainly not there as we head into 2019. I'm going to go back to the question I feel like I ask you every single time you have an airline story, (laughs) Phil, and that is, are the airlines just going back to their old ways? I don't think they're going back to their old ways. They do have the ability to grow revenue, certainly when you look at the segmentation of the cabin. So in that regards, Melissa, it's far different than it was, let's say, seven, eight, nine years ago. The issue becomes one of, okay, these guys have really done well in terms of growing that segmentation and that ancillary revenue. Then where's the next leg of growth after that? And I think that's what a lot of people are asking themselves right now. Tim's got hey, a Phil, it's Tim, do you think we're seeing separation in the airline sector between those that are doing it and those, uh, let's say, just the big three? Uh, it's very clear one is trading near the bottom of that valuation range, and they're the guys that reported today. Uh, yes, and I think that when you look at American relative to United and Delta, they haven't done as much relatively speaking so far, as the other two when it comes to that segmentation of their cabins. But that's quickly coming along for them. And when we've talked to Doug Parker, he's made a very clear look. We realize what we need to do, and that will be happening in the quarters ahead. The other thing that I get a lot of questions about, guys, is, boy, United had a great year last year. Does that mean that United is now outperforming Delta and American? Not necessarily. It was coming off such a, a, a three years in a row when they couldn't shoot straight, when they were their own problems. Now they are finally getting their act together, and they have over the last six to nine months. Really, it's been probably the most problem-free six to nine months that United's seen in a long time. So the stock had a nice move at the last half of uh, 2018. The question now is what happens in 2019 for United? 
Bill, thank you. Bill LeBeau joining us you from bet. the New York Stock Exchange. It is worth noting that a number of the major airlines down double digits from, double digits from their 52-week high. So is there much more turbulence mm. ahead? Tim. Well, Rough skies so, for the airlines? Yeah, I mean, so I, I could see uh, Americans certainly flying at a lower altitude than the other two because uh, of the fact that the revenue stream out of Delta is industry leading. They have more revenue initiatives and their margins are better. Um, American was down 40% last year and trades about half the valuation as United. It's extraordinary. So um, I think the airlines are tremendous trading stocks. And I have to tell you, at 45 bucks, Delta looks, first of all, I think we're going to retest the lows of last week on the Delta announcement just based upon where I think the market is overall. Um, but I think you then have to look at these things. I think they tend to overshoot in each direction. Might be time Plus, to American has a 25% market share in Reagan, Reagan uh, Airport in, in Washington. So if the government shutdown lasts a little bit longer, that's going to hurt them. Plus the corporate traveler, more lucrative traveler. Who don't you get hurt with that? Save. S-A-V-E. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that stock price, it's up 4% year to date. I think you're better off there versus the others. After those bad, would you consider them metaphors? I would need an air sickness bag to combat what you and you did, number one. Number two, if you go back to Delta at the beginning of this month, they actually tweak guidance to the higher end. Stock traded up today, as Phil pointed out, on what was a pretty lousy tape for the airlines. Valuation is interesting. And you actually traded down and held levels we last saw the summer of 2017. So although you have major double tops at 60, I think you have a short-term level to buy against in the earnings. Do you want to add anything? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, okay. let, let's go look back to December. <laughs> Remember Carnival, Carnival Cruise had some disappointing guidance. We've seen two airlines This all uh, goes back to the consumer, It goes too. back to the consumer, and I think it's really important. When you think about that jobs number, 312,000 that we got for December, you know, a disproportionate, 117,000 of 312 were multiple job holders. Multiple job holders don't have time to book tickets on American Airlines and go on vacation, and they don't have discretionary income to go to Disney or to go the on cruises. Pound on the table on this one. Well, all right. But my point is... Bye-bye. Uh, my point is that, uh, you know, <laughs> you got that, right? I got that. All right. The point is, is that there's a huge You're disconnect between some of the data that we're seeing out of the jobs and some of the consumer data that we're seeing. Um, and to me, the consumer confidence has been weakening for the last two months. So I do not think the first six months of this year is going to be great for the U.S. consumer. For more on the airlines, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. So what is your salary? I, I want to say it's a hundred. It's in the range of one hundred eighty thousand, something like that. Well, I guess that's enough money to keep the markets calm. But should investors really trust the Fed? We've got a special report. Plus, Guy Adami is stepping up to the plate to pitch one stock he says is about to break out no matter where the market goes next. He'll give us the name and the trade when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We wanted to, um, to have the balance sheet return to a more normal level, which is a level no larger than it needs to be for us to conduct monetary policy. Don't know the exact level. It, it, that will depend on um, uh, the, the, really the public's appetite for our liabilities, specifically currency. To us, that's a liability, and the public has a large appetite for currency and also reserves and other liabilities. So it'll be substantially smaller than it, than it is now. Welcome back. That was Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell giving more color about the Fed's easing strategy for the year. And it was those comments on the balance sheet you just heard that had some on Wall Street on edge. CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman is back at headquarters with more. Dovish or hawkish, Steve? So can I pick a third uh, choice, Melissa? <laughs> okay. And- and not dovish, not hawkish, but maybe careless. Careless. Wow. Um, wow. Okay. I, I, I think that uh, this is a lot like the October 3rd uh, comment that uh, upset the markets when he said that there was we were a long way from neutral. I, I, I don't know exactly what Chairman Powell thinks, but the there are estimates out there which the New York Federal Reserve gathers, which shows that the uh, on the street, they expect a balance sheet of 3.5, 3.6 trillion. That is for the Fed to bring it down there from the current 4 trillion. Um, is that substantially smaller than it is now? Is he disagreeing with the uh, market estimates right now? Um, I, I don't. When he said back then that it were a long way from neutral, I didn't think he meant they were going to go more than 100 basis points. But I think the market saw that as potentially more than that. And I think this is a case where the Fed chairman might have been more precise. I think the first part of his thing was correctly telling what Fed policy is right now, that they want to get the balance sheet down to a place where they can conduct uh, monetary policy without affecting it. But saying substantially smaller, there were several Fed people I talked to, observers, uh, uh, who kind of rolled their eyes at that comment. I mean, it's not even back from October. It's his latest appearance, Steve. Um, where he backed away from basically an automatic roll-off in the balance sheet, and now he's going back to... I mean, it's amazing how different the messages can be construed by the markets in such a short amount of time. It's not a period of months. It's a period of days at this point. And the question is, what, what can the markets believe? Does the Fed have a credibility issue in its messaging? Um... I think you can believe what the committee has said together as a committee. And and that is that the balance sheet is going to roll off in this very predictable manner with a cap of up to $50 billion a month. And the New York Federal Reserve Bank has published a schedule as to the amount that it will roll off. And it's not $600 billion, by the way. It's more like $440 billion this year for what that's worth and maybe $300 next year, which, which is to say that sometime... In mid-2020, the Fed will hit that target. Um, Here's the problem. The problem is that if I was the Federal Reserve Chairman, which, of course, and for very good reason, I am not, um, uh, I would have been thinking very carefully about how I was going to answer the balance sheet question. If that's the case, and he came up with substantially smaller, then I'm wondering that maybe he meant to guide me that it's substantially smaller, guide the markets that way. But if he didn't mean that, then I'd be like, well, wait a second. You weren't prepared to answer that question carefully, so I don't have a good choice either way. 
Steve, yesterday we had a conversation. You said the Fed is like an, it's an, an army moving forward. They hit some resistance. They regroup, but they continue yeah. to move forward. Is right. the resistance they meet the market going lower, and it's just going to take the market then recovers 10 percent, the army continues to move forward? Is that the dance we're going to do now for the next year? I, I think so, and I think you know my sort of operating uh, premise on this thing is how they did the taper tantrum. They came forward with the taper tantrum. The market kind of freaked out. They withdrew a little bit, waited a little time, and then came forward without much concern in terms of stopping the, the purchasing of assets. Um, uh, I think the Fed wants to be higher here I, I, under given circumstances. In other words, if the forecast comes out the way they plan it, I think the Fed does want to add, you know, maybe two rate hikes from here and then kind of wait around. But it's going to wait till it has the market with it, because when Powell does say, and I think he says this with very, very advisedly, they have muted inflation right now. And it does give them the opportunity to wait. I think they'll use that opportunity in light of the market reaction here and say, hold on, we're going to chill for a bit. We're going to take a look around and, and we'll wait and we'll have the market with us. So, look, if the data comes in stronger or doesn't weaken substantially from what the Fed expects, I would still expect rate hikes here. But I don't think you'll do it in the context of a market that is violently opposed to it. Hey, Steve, it's Tim. But despite the army and the forward and the back, aren't you aren't you concerned about a Fed that's letting the market lead it around? I mean, that to me is, is the credibility issue. Um, um, yes. I, I don't like it. Yes and no. In other words, if there was some imperative for the Federal Reserve to raise right now, if there was a, uh, an obvious inflation threat, I'd be like, whoa, this is a problem. If there was a credibility problem that the Fed had to sort of claw back, I, I, would, I would say yes. But I think the Fed has time to wait. I don't think 50 basis points here or there uh, in the next year or so is going to make or break either the economy or the Federal Reserve. Steve, thank you very much. Pleasure. Steve Leisman, back at headquarters. Um, Powell should stick to reading off a piece of paper. Uh, I mean, that's when he's it, most I think you hit on that. He's got a messaging problem. I don't think he does it well. I think that every time he does it, he's got to walk it back. And when we look at the minutes, there's a different conversations that were taking place than what really has uh, come through when Powell opens his mouth. So I think that either way, the market does not like higher rates. They don't like tightening. And the market is probably going to react to it in short order. Yeah, I just want to make one comment. I mean, listening to Fed um, chairs for years now, I can't remember too many times where they actually mentioned a company and the company's guidance that they gave. He's mentioned Apple now on two instances. Um, he seems to think there's some issue is regarding the trade and war and how it's affecting U.S. corporations. Um, so this is going to be a theme until we have any real progress on the trade war. And I that think that should hearten you, though, as an investor, that he has mentioned it and is acknowledging the data points. From yes, America. but the more he mentions it, the more you get nervous about. Oh. Why they're being dovish. That's my point. And I think at some point, the, the longer they stay dovish, the worse it is for a very fragile economy. It's really, it's, the market's all about the Fed. So that's what this has taught us. Think about how the market has totally moved on the Fed and the Fed only remind you down the road. Coming up, new year, new you, new 401k. Gene Thompson of Fidelity will be here to tell you the three resolutions you should be making for your 401k in 2019. Plus, Guy is warming up for what could be his most important fast pitch ever. You got that suit jacket on fast. He'll tell us one under the radar biotech stock you wow. can't get enough of. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Don't look now, but biotech is in rally mode up almost 20% since the Christmas Eve lows. Is there more room to run in the group? Our guy, Dami, has one under-the-radar biotech stock. He says is about to break out. It's time for the 
fast pitch wow. guy. You can head over to the five. I'm going to be careful over. not to knock Pete over our Steadicam operator because that wouldn't be nice to me. And yes, it's funny. We talked about biotech at the top of the show. We're going to talk about it now. And this is my power pitch. Slide it, Earl. Hard to say, not easy to spell, but Sarept is the play. And why? Well, I'll give you three reasons why. Great balance sheet for biotech, over a billion dollars in cash. That's pretty darn good there, folks. Number two, genetics medicine. A lot of people think this is the preeminent company in the genetic space. We'll see if that pans out. But that's what a lot of analysts are saying right now. And the last one, huge M&A potential. Why? Because you've seen it over the last month, month and a half. This is an $8.5 billion or so market cap company. Great balance sheet. Tremendous upside. And yes, we have seen downdrafts in the stocks over the last couple of years on disappointing data. But to the street is thinking just that they just reported or spoke to J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference that maybe they've turned the corner. So for a lot of reasons, not least of which the stock has had a big downdraft to the downside, we've bounced a little bit. I think Sarepta sets up very well in this environment, sort of market agnostic, Fed agnostic, China trade agnostic. But you know what? With the M&A money out there now, this might be a candidate. So, Guy, when I, when I look at this, when I look at the, uh, the, the chart that you're eventually going to look at, when I look at the chart, it looks like it's technically challenged. I know that the fundamentals seem good, but when you turn around and look at that chart in the name, I'm worried about the 50 days been declining, the 20 days rolling over. It seems like even though it's been up for the last couple of days, it seems like it's rolling over to me on momentum. I'm no Carter Braxton Worth, as you know. I'm no Flash Gordon. I am not at the pinnacle. I'm not at the zenith of the technicians. But I'll say this. In biotech, you got to throw the charts out the window a lot of times because you know as well as I, one piece of data that comes out positive, we throw the charts out the window, and we wake up one morning and Pfizer Drug or Merck or Eli Lilly or any of these people say, you know what, we want to pony up with these guys, and you know you see a 30% move. So I hear you on the technicals, but you know what, the more you know, I'm throwing the technicals out the window. And you know what, can't make money with scared money or something like that. Something like that. No more questions. Time to vote. Buying or selling, guys, pitch on Sarepta. Dan, what do you say? Uh, I'm not a buyer. I mean, listen, I don't know this story. They're obviously doing great work um, on a really horrible disease, and we wish them the best. But here's a company that expected in 2018 to do $300 million in sales and lose $278 million um, on a gap basis net income. Um, you know, I mean, to me, it's just not somewhere that I can play. So uh, I'm going to say sell as well. And when I look at the technicals, the only pushback I have is usually the technicals have all the fundamentals within them. So it usually tells the whole story. But yes, I do not disagree that they are binary events that you could see this thing up. So either you don't play it or you sell it. Tim. Hey, guy, I'm your friend. I'm voting buy. Notice the color of my B and buy is kind of like the color of your tie. So gene therapy works here, might work for you. Um, I'm sorry I didn't go for you today, though. All right, so one buy here on the desk. More importantly, are you at home buying Guy's Fast Pitch on Sarepta? We want to know. You can head over to Twitter right now and vote in our poll. Plus, if you're looking to maximize your 401k this year, stick around because our next guest has brought along three financial resolutions to do just that. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a market flash on Activision Blizzard. The stock sinking after hours. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco for all the details. Hey, Josh. 
Melissa, it's a divorce. That's how one analyst is describing this news here about Activision and development studio Bungie. Remember, Activision had this long-standing publishing agreement with Bungie for its Destiny franchise. Now Activision is saying that the rights and responsibilities are going to Bungie fully, and that means Activision will no longer recognize revenue from that franchise. I caught up with Michael Pactor from Wedbush. He says a new Destiny version typically generated around $500 million of revenue revenue for the company by his math. So now given this news, the street's going to have to adjust estimates going forward. He says Activision wasn't happy with the product revenue and Bungie wasn't likely happy with the profit split. It's been a rough few months for Activision. We know that stock is down some 30% over the last three months. But Pactor tells me he does remain an Activision bull here. He says the stock is cheap and the company has a deep line of content on the way. Mel, back to you. All right. Thank you, Josh. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Let's trade it. Dan? She just surrounded the trade, Josh. Mm. He always does. He does. He's he amazing. really always does. Uh, you know, that's a really interesting piece of news because we think of uh, Activision as a content um, player, right? And they obviously have other deals. And so this does put a hold possibly in the revenue stream. I think the most important news I heard today, the information had a story that Amazon is going to launch a streaming video game service. And, you know, when you think about it, there's only a handful of content players. There's obviously plenty of development things. That's going to shake things up, I think, in 2019. So I wouldn't abandon an Activision trading at about 17 and a half times forward it's earnings right now. It's not expensive. It's not right? expensive. Yeah. And, and, and the, the problem is that they're not really going to grow EPS meaningfully at all yeah. in the next couple of years with a competitive climate. I, I like it here. I, I have to say I think the thing's been uh, beaten and Katie barred the door. Is that, is that no, it doesn't do? apply here, Tim. Oh. Nice try. Okay. okay. But you know what? It does apply here? Electronic what? Arts. And I did an options <laughs> actions months ago when Dan had a risk reversal in Electronic oh, Arts. Yeah. And if you look, that stock has got fricasseed as well down to 75 it has bounced but if you like show did i yes yeah. at least twice. I and mean, i think it's we uh, should have a counter ding when it's it, whenever too much fricassee. Yeah, that is too much fricassee and that's three down i don't even know now. what that is it's a that's it's an a, also it's a like of, an oldie timey method of cooking. well look at the outfit i have on tonight very 80s i'm not i didn't lose my train of thought what i was to say was electronic arts maybe all the bad news is in the stock same valuation i think you can own ea here all right switching gears here the ball has dropped times squares cleaned up and your hangover is hopefully healed by now but it's not too late to think about a new year's financial resolution for your nest egg according to fidelity about 50 percent of retirement savers plan to increase their contribution right in 2019 so let's bring in Jeannie Thompson for a fast 401k. She's a senior vice president of workplace investing at Fidelity. She joins us from Boston. Jeannie, great to see you. Yeah, you too, Melissa. It's a great time of year to start uh, revisiting your plans here. So what's your first tip here? You want to increase your contributions? That's right. You know, the new year, new you, it's a great time to increase your retirement savings contributions to your 401k. We recommend that people save 15% for retirement over the course of their career to really reach their retirement savings goals. How should you think about how much you increase it by? Let's say for some reason your paycheck doesn't go up. Do you still increase your contribution? Let's say your paycheck goes down. Do you still increase your contribution? Yes, we do recommend that you say, try to save 15%. And if you're not quite there, you know, at a minimum, you want to save to the company match and try to increase at least 1% a year 
A good time to increase it is at the beginning of the year, or say you get a merit increase or cost of living adjustment halfway through the year, that's another good time. But you really want to try to increase it because we recommend that you save 10 times your ending income by the time you retire. So if you end your career making $50,000, you need to save 500000 if you end your career making 100K, then you need to save a million. So that's 10 mm. times that number before retirement. And to do that, you got to save 15% to get there. All right. Take advantage of the company match. This makes sense because this is basically free money. But at the same time, if you're um, inclined to go beyond the company match, is that really a wise move? Or are you putting too many eggs in one basket in terms of you've got your job at this company, plus you've got stock or whatever it is in that company as well? Yeah, at a minimum, try to save up to the company match, whether it's 3% or 5%. You want to know, is it you know, 100% on the dollar up to 3 or is it 50%? So you want to understand the formula, save up to that. If you can save up to the company match and you have extra money, if you're in a high-deductible health plan, it would be a great idea to save in a health savings account. Those are triple-tax savings. Um, if you're contributing to the limit in that, then go back and put more money into your 401k. All right. And if you're turning 50, this is very important, uh, <laughs> right? You can, you can play catch-up a little bit here in terms of your contributions. You can. You know, the limit um, that you can contribute from your personal money is 19000 to the 401k. The company can contribute more on top of that. But if you're turning 50 this year or you're over 50, you can contribute an extra $6,000 for a total of $25,000. And the key thing to note is that even if your birthday is in December, come January, which it's January now, you can contribute to that catch-up contribution and take advantage of that a little bit early. All right, Jeannie, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for all your tips. We appreciate it. You too. Jeannie, Thanks, Melissa. Jeannie Thompson of Fidelity. What happens if you're turning 70? What do they give you for Guy, that? Guy, what, what happens? Uh, you, you know, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Because I was just saying, I got a few years left before I should start to do a little research before I turn to big five. It's an important time in life. Well, the point is that at that age, actually, you have to start taking money out and you have to start paying, you know, the tax on it. So the whole idea here is that it's compounding tax-free for all that time. So do it early in office, what Jeannie's saying. All right. Dan, just getting all serious. Getting all serious on the 401k. Coming up, check out the Kramer cam. Jim Kramer sitting down with Intel's interim CEO, Bob Swan. That is tonight on Mad Money. We'll get a sneak peek of what he just told him about the semi-space right after this break. We're live at Times Square. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Our very own Jim Cramer sitting down with interim Intel CEO Bob Swan moments ago about what is next uh, for the chip stock. Let's take a listen. The PC is stabilized a bit. We have a leading position. Data center is huge and the needs for data are growing and growing. And in addition to that, we have, you know, it's not just Intel inside the PC and the data center, but it's also inside the automobile inside the factories, inside the retail store. So in an era of this increasing data and the needs for data, our presence is just much more expansive today than it's ever been. For the full interview, be sure to tune into Mad Money with Jim Cramer. That is at the top of the hour. Speaking of Intel, there was a frenzy of bets in the options pits uh, in the name today. Dan is over at the Plasma to break it down. 
Yeah, so Mel, you know, great to hear um, an acting CEO talk like that a couple weeks before their earnings. Seem pretty uh, positive in, in light of some of the news that we've seen in the PC-centric space and the smartphone space. They've obviously diversified pretty well. But today, put volume was one and a half times that of calls. But it was actually a call strike that caught my eye looking out to April expiration. There was somebody accumulating 4,000 in the April 50 calls. They traded about an average price of $1.90. And what I find really interesting about that is that one 190, if we want to go uh, to the chart, 190 in premium on a $50 strike with the stock closing today at 48 and a half, it's kind of pretty near the money, especially when you're looking out to April. You're going to catch two earnings announcements, and you're also going to connect, uh, catch probably the announcement of a new CEO, which should be um, a positive catalyst here. I just want to go quickly to a one-year chart, and I want to just demonstrate the fact that this stock has actually shown some really, really good relative strength over the last few months, especially as the market has been v- pretty volatile. This has not been pretty volatile. This $50, that is kind of like you could have a setup for a little bit of a gap fill on any good news um, over the next couple of months. So, um, And I just want to take it out to five years and why you might want to um, consider defining your risk into what could be a volatile period in the market and obviously maybe volatile into earnings on January 24th. Um, look at this thing. You know, it had that gap a couple years ago. It stayed above um, the mid 40s. That looks to be good support. But if they miss and guide down and then the street doesn't like that new CEO, you could have a stock in the mid to low 40s filling in that gap. So the idea of playing for the upside, defining your risk, and looking at a breakout level like 50 makes sense to me. Is Intel a value stock? I don't know. I mean, worldwide PC shipments are down, I think, 4.5% year over year. It's clearly declining. I mean, is it a value stock? It's been a value stock for a while. That's been the argument. really hasn't worked out that much. And then you hear what AMD said over the last couple of days, and it makes you wonder... You know, where is Intel going to go from here? My inclination is people are going to try to buy it on value. I think there's another leg lower. Well, I I think it is a value stock. Granted, I think it's been somewhat defensive in the middle of this semis, you know, bloodbath, although it kind of had its fallout earlier in the year. So, um, but I I like data center. I like the diversification. And I actually think of all the chip makers, these guys have the most diversified business. And that's what I'd rather own here. I think AMD is actually coming after Intel. They're coming after NVIDIA. So I think when you, when you listen to Lisa Sue, the CEO of AMD at CES, she made it apparent. They made investments. That's what they're coming after. And I think this is the more beta play that if Intel performs, this one is going to be a two to one performance based. So you prefer AMD. I prefer AMD. Uh, Thanks for that, Dan. For more options, actually, you can check out the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up next, we've got the final trade. Stay tuned. It is time to reveal the results of our Twitter poll. The uh, the desk wasn't buying Guy's pitch on Sarepta. And Q, Tony Braxton, the remix, because... Sorry, guy. 70% of our viewers are not buying it either. It wasn't 100%, guy. But do you like the remix or do you Who's like the original? Did we, did this we remix this? Is Tony Braxton? Because it was so bad, but it wasn't quite bad it's enough. Not Celine. Celine Dion. Hold on, is the remix in between original Tony and Celine? You get a remix, so there's actually. Yeah. Don't you think wow. this is worse than the original? It's Final not, trade it's time, not what I want. Tim. I'll tell you, well, what's worse right now are the share price of U.S. Steel, yet steel prices are exactly where they were a year ago at 800 times a ton. I think it's time to start nibbling on U.S. Steel. Lennar wasn't a great print yesterday. It was up 7%. When stocks stopped going down on bad news, they're a buy. Lennar, L-E-N. Damn. You obviously didn't watch last night. We were all fading. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. Um, that's but okay. if you did watch last night, we were talking about the Russell 2000, the IWM. I think you sell that thing. I think we see a retest back towards 130. 
Guy, you gonna bust out some moves here? Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm buying the remix on my Spotify application now. I like it so Brilliant. much. Final Brilliant. Final trade. Sarepta, you filthy animals. See you tomorrow. Oh. Mad Money oh. starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.